Yes, and happy Father's Day to you. And and as far as men go and building men, young men, we're um, having a special barbecue night Saturday, July 8th. That's just a couple weeks away with Chuck Stecker speaking. Uh, Chuck Stecker is is retired armor ranger, has a ministry called, ministry called A Chosen Generation where he's developed intergenerational ministry and rites of passages in local churches, very unique. But he's in, in, in the totality of his ministry or the entire length of his ministry, he's been speaking to men all across the world and in our country. So it's an honor to have him on a, a men's barbecue, which include young men, junior high, senior high. Uh, we've been inviting some um, those in the community to come as well. And then um, uh, in, in he'll be speaking, and then Sunday morning he'll be speaking here on July 9th. So that's, that's going to be a great time. And, um, you know, stay a, a little while today, get some pictures together as a family, and enjoy that. So praise reports, you guys have filled in a number of uh, ways to be all in uh, with the Catching the Harvest vision and those cards you've turned in, and we're looking at those cards. And um, Kayla Watkins had made, has made contact with uh, a number of ladies who are willing to be a team to receive uh, guests from ALC, a loving uh, a choice ministry. And so uh, that's exciting. Um, it's uh, the director there, you know, it's not like they have somebody calling in every week for that for a local church, but we are uh, responding to her request and say we're available to receive them and connect with a guest from ALC, uh, and what I'd like to do, uh, secondly there, with those who checked off the Connect team, meet with you next Sunday after church in the gathering place over here uh, by the sofas, and that Connect team is where you are helping us together uh, just make connections with our first, second time, third time guests and helping them find new relationships and new ways to serve here at Living Waters. So I'll be sending you a little reminder on that. Uh, but we are ready to do these kind of little orientation training meetings throughout the summer so that over the next month or couple months, we'll be really ready in these uh, harvest-catching uh, relational discipleship ways to, um, to receive the harvest that Jesus has. So let's just pray for, about that right now before we go on. Uh, into the message. Lord Jesus, uh, we're by your grace saying we are all in uh, to you, Jesus, the Lord of harvest, saying yes, we are willing uh, to offer a relational discipleship, biblical discipleship uh, to those who are seeking God in our community. And so, Lord, with that, give us that grace in developing each one of these uh, aspects of relational ministry uh, help us, Lord God, in these next steps uh, so that uh, we'll, we'll show you, Lord God, that we aren't words, that we're, we're action. We're about obedience to your word. And we thank you, God, for, for bringing the harvest to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this series on David has just still got me excited, more excited. It is a challenge because of the amount of material 
biblical material with tons of life lessons uh, about David. And I was just scouring and going over uh, so many chapters this week. It was really just begging the Lord, help me synthesize this and just be able to hone in on some important aspects uh, to really build us up. And so uh, in in today's series, David, A Man After God's Own Heart, it's uh, the, the subtitle is, What Will You Do With Your Fear? What will you do with your fear? And I'm going to jump here in a moment to the punchline that I'll get back to at the end of the message. But we have two characters that God is revealing to us in this life of David, King Saul and then young David. And they are opposites on how they responded with the fears in their life. And their, their character and their, uh, was, uh, it turned out to be opposites. They both were chosen by God to be king. They both were anointed by the same amazing prophet, the old prophet Samuel anointed both of them. They both had good starts in obeying God, but something went wrong. And that's one thing we're going to learn about today is what happened with how they responded to fear in their life. And some of the material that I'm just going to highlight, and because there's so much, it's stranger than fiction. It's like good movie material, but it's it'd be hard to make it believable because sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? And that's these stories are like that, these scriptures. But I'm just going to give you a, the punchline right now that David discovered, and we're going to look at this psalm later, Psalm 57. I'm just going to look at one verse. It's about 11 verses in this psalm. We're going to go through uh, most of it later. But Psalm 57 is a, a psalm that he wrote when he's being chased and pursued by Saul, and he says, God, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah, which is a worship term of, in Hebrew. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And this word mercy is the word hesed, Hebrew word hesed. And over a month ago when we talked about Israel and God's work, the Holy Spirit work in Israel, that God's Holy Spirit work in Israel back in ancient times and in, uh, in the world today is this word about love called hesed, the Hebrew hesed. And it's the primary word for loyal love. It's completely undeserved kindness and generosity. It's God's loyal commit to, commitment to us. It's his covenant love. And this word appears over around 250 times in the Old Testament. It's the main word to describe God's kind of love in the Greek for the New Testament. It's agape. It's that unconditional kind of love. And David tapped in and in the midst of his crises. He tapped into the unconditional love of God the Father and his son Jesus. And Jesus wants us to receive his unconditional love, that it pushes out fear 
in our minds and our hearts. Let's just pray that right there. Lord, open up our minds and hearts that we not block by accidentally or on purpose the unconditional love of God. That, Lord, that loyal love you have for us will push out fear and give us peace. Amen. A quick review, and if you didn't, weren't here last Sunday, John Conti preached, uh, taught an excellent message on David and Goliath. One of his neat points was how much time David spent with his heavenly father out in the field as a shepherd and writing songs, singing songs, and playing his guitar out there in the field. And, and it was like, yeah, you know, the father's like, yeah, I know that kid really well. We've spent a lot of time together. And we see that fruit of young David as he starts leading his life as a young man. But as far as fears go, uh, David came upon this field of the valley and all uh, the, the, uh, the armies were on stalemate for 40 days because of this Goliath. And this was an a very powerful uh, kind of uh, uh, a matchup one-on-one. And Saul, King Saul, was looking for a warrior to take on this giant. And David basically said, listen, Saul, I know I'm, I'm a little squirt of a guy compared to all your mighty warriors, but I've already defeated the fear of a lion. I've already defeated the fear of a bear. And I will defeat this fear of this ungodly, ugly giant out there. One thing that David didn't realize, that yes, God is going to give him victory over that giant. But he has a bigger giant to face soon after. And that's what we're going to read about today. So when you jump in out of chapter 17, David and Goliath, you jump into chapter 18, this great victory of Goliath being dead and David holding uh, the head of Goliath, taking it uh, uh, to the city to, to celebrate. And what happens here is that the son of King Saul, Jonathan, who was a mighty warrior, his heart just was knitted to his soul and he was so excited, Jonathan, to be his friend, and he, and he became a friend. And I, I want us to really study that friendship in a later Sunday here in a couple of weeks or so. It's, I'm not exactly sure when. But this was a time in, uh, in David's life where he was a shepherd boy. He had been in the palace playing his harp to, to push out this uh, spirit attacking Saul, and so he had exposure and some training there in the the royal palace. But now he's not some little squirt of a little brother. He is a famous warrior in the land of Israel. And his favor is being spread all over the land. In fact, let's look at 1 Samuel 18, uh, starting at verse 7. And, And you want to just have your Bibles or your app's open to 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to walk through much of this chapter. 
And so I'm just going to read you what's happening as there the army's coming back from victory and there's King Saul and the generals and David is in that crowd and uh and this is what's happening in verse 7. So the women sang as they danced and said Saul slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him and he said They have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul eyed David from that day forward. We can begin heeding warnings right now from this opposite character of David, and that's King Saul. Let's look at him right now is that don't fall into the temptation of having a critical spirit towards someone. Because that's what Saul did. He he eyed him. He had a judgmental spirit. He started looking and and, and looking for something wrong about David so he can catch Because surely he wants to steal the kingdom from me. Surely that's what his motives are. Surely he's wanting to subvert me and he was looking for something. Listen, folks, don't get into the flesh like that. Don't get a negative attitude towards a critical judgmental spirit. Watch yourself. Ask God to let you look on that person with his eyes. Excuse me. And then secondly, is that jealousy turns to envy and then fear and perhaps even bitterness. Listen, folks, watch your attitudes. Watch your motivations of your heart. But see, God wants us to celebrate the younger generation. And sometimes this is, you know, an older leader and a younger leader. So go on to the next point there. (coughs) We need to remember that God wants us to celebrate the younger generation and see leaders, uh, God bringing leaders of a new generation. We want to celebrate them and look for open doors for them to step in and use their gifts. So let's move on in the story. There was this uh, distressing spirit from God is the phrase used several times in these couple of chapters that would attack Saul and this anointed worshiper with his guitar, his worship, that presence of the Holy Spirit would push this and, 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 and bring this uh, spirit down and, and bring it into, in, in, under control where it wouldn't bother Saul anymore. I want to tell you this phrase, a distressing spirit from the Lord, is an unusual phrase. You don't see it in other contexts, even Old or New Testament, and it's a hard one to really, you know, nail down exactly what was happening here. Because normally we don't see an evil spirit harassing, you know, and and bringing on fear and anxiety and torment on a person, and that's an angel spirit. That's a spirit from God. We don't see that from Scripture. We see angelic spirits doing God's will. We see evil spirits doing the will of the devil, and it's usually pretty clear. This is a weird way that it's phrased right here. I believe that it's probably something like this, that we know from watching King Saul's life that he rebelled against God. 
and he was disobedient and he received that judgment from the prophet Samuel that his his uh, anointing and his he would not um, you know his family would not receive kings so there would be another king from another lineage and that did not bring King Saul to a place of repentance he just ended up growing in fear he grew in in uh, his you know, uh, disobedience to God. And that opened this door. His response to his cor- uh, the correction of God opened the door, the disobedience to attack of the enemy of an evil spirit. And it was this pure worship. That, and so that's the kind of the best way I can theologically put it together. But let's not worry about that and get in long debates. Let's, there's many lessons to learn here. And let's look at verse uh, uh, 12. Starting there, 1 Samuel 18, verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. So we're seeing that David's not getting, uh, Saul's not getting peace unless David is, is having this time of worship. Let's learn from that, right? When you feel the enemy is attacking and you're hearing his lies and you're getting discouraged, press, press play on the worship channel that you have on your playlist on your Pandora, on your Spotify. But what we see is that Saul is afraid of this young man and what's happening with his growth of leadership and influence. And so Saul comes up with a plan. He says, listen, you know, I've got to somehow get rid of him. So I'll have him go fight the Philistines and for him to marry my daughter, which supposedly he already had rights to because he killed Goliath. I'm going to go have him kill. Uh, he has to go kill a hundred Philistines before he can marry my daughter. And so David said, well, what an honor to be your son-in-law. So he goes out and kills with his men, 200 Philistines. And he ends up, uh, receiving Michael as his wife. And 1 Samuel 18, 28 says, Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord's with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, and Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. <clears throat> so what we see here is that Saul's fear was growing. He had no control of it. It was increasing. It birthed out of jealousy, and it turned into fear, and it was growing into fear. But something's happening now. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me try this more. King Saul is now David's enemy continually. This is a most confusing kind of enemy. 
David has been loyal to the king. He is a faithful servant. He honors the king. He's been serving the king. And now David has to deal with a fear of an enemy that is even hard to grasp. Saul has the full army at his disposal. So we have both characters now dealing with different kinds, but very real fears. What does growing fear do to you? How do you respond when, how do you respond when fear seems to be surrounding you? Fear is one of the first tactics of the devil. It's one of his first arrows. Fear is as old as the first sin. Fear is one of the first responses to sin. I won't go there, but you remember in the Garden of Eden when uh, uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and, uh, and, and ate the fruit. And the first time that God comes into the garden to spend time with them and they were hiding from him and God's like, where are you? Adam says, well, I was afraid and I hid. It's as old as original sin. It's one of those initial byproducts. We've already in chapter 17 looked at fear itself in ancient Israel. Goliath was such a powerful man of fear and intimidation. He was a monster of fear. He was the poster child of fear. He was fear incarnate. He embodied fear. In fact, when it says in 1 Samuel 17 that all the soldiers and the men of Israel, when they saw this giant, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Yet, David then was able, if you listen to John Conti's message, he was able to declare his victory despite this very powerful uh, demon-possessed giant that was able to release spirits of intimidation on the people, uh, on the soul, all the soldiers. David was able to look at him and declare his victory in God. I want to move on in this story and just tell you some things that happened in chapter 19 because we want to get to more life lessons. And what we see is that this evil spirit comes on King Saul again and he throws the spear at young David twice, and young David escapes. And so Jonathan goes to David and, and says, let me help you here. Let me figure out what's going on. Jonathan goes to Saul and convinces him not to kill him anymore, not to go after him anymore. And sure enough, Saul said, you're right, he's been faithful to me. I won't pursue him anymore. And however, he keeps sending David out on military advances and he keeps winning and he gets more fame and more victories. And so it just happens all over again. This 
this, uh, this spear-throwing incident happens. David runs to his house for protection. His wife, Michael's there. She says, you've got to escape. She fakes that he's in bed sick and puts goat's hair in this, under the covers. The uh, Saul's soldiers come down. David's not there. They think he's sick. No, he's escaped. King Saul gets mad at his daughter. Where does David run to? He runs to his spiritual mentor, his spiritual covering, Samuel. He runs to Samuel at Ramah. And there he is getting comfort. He's getting encouragement. He's getting the prayers. He's getting built up. He's getting vision about he was anointed king, about his future, that God has spoken, that this is God's will for him. Don't lose heart. God's going to protect him. And then a knock on the door, and there's soldiers from Saul knocking on the door. Actually, the way it happened was the prophets of Samuel, and they're all walking around, and there's an anointing of, of pro- the prophetic and worship and prayer, and these soldiers come to go get David, and the anointing comes on them, and they prophesy. They can't get to David, the anointing of presence of God is so strong. They leave, tell Saul we couldn't get to him. He sends two more sets of soldiers, and each time this anointing comes on them, Saul goes on the fourth trip himself. And the presence of God is so strong around Samuel, David being submitted under his covering. There's this supernatural protection that even the king with the sword in his hand could not get to David. And so what I want to tell you as a lesson from David this, yes, in times of confusion, times of, of you need a, a direction from God, you're in a time of confusion and crisis, go to your spiritual mentors, your spiritual covering, come to the elders of the church. If your marriage is on the rocks, it's going, getting worse, not better, come to Dolores and me. We, this is part of our ministry, a, a calling of God on us to spend time with couples and help turn that direction around. If your family is in turmoil and there's brokenness, listen, let me tell you, come to Dolores and me or another elder. We'll find resources for you to get encouragement and counsel. Do not just pursue on your own. Well, we're praying about it. Well, we're reading the word. Great. Well, God has put the body of Christ together with spiritual covering to produce direction and supernatural protection. I'm so looking forward to going to more into Jonathan and David's friendship again on another Sunday. But when this happens after he's with Samuel, the next person that David talks to is Jonathan, his closest loyal friend. So let's learn a lesson from, from that. Are you keeping this, uh, carrying a burden and a weight by yourself? Are you keeping it a secret when you need your Christian brothers and sisters to join with you in prayer, to dig in, in intercession with you? Then go to your Christian brothers and sisters for prayer support. And he received blessings from Jonathan and encouragement. And that love of a friend built him up. The story gets uh, 
actually more weird. David is on the, uh, he's trying to escape. He's, he's trying to get food. He's trying to look for a weapon. He comes to uh, uh, the priest there in, in the city of Nob and, and he, there's some bread he gets from the, the altar of worship and there's Goliath's sword and, and he takes the sword and, and he leaves. This priest has no idea that David is uh, running for his life. He thinks he's this faithful servant of Saul. Saul finds out, sins, uh, uh, you know, goes to this priest, kills 85 priests and more families, uh, women and children in that city of priests. Only one escapes, Abathur escapes alive. It, it is awful to think how this King Saul was actually anointed, chosen, anointed by God, and now he's killing a whole village, a community of priests and their families because of jealousy. So now I thought it would be somewhat of a when you think about a cat and mouse uh, chase in the desert. But the thing about, I look, had to look it up, cat and mouse is when a cat is playing with its prey and toying with it. And that's not what ends up happening. Saul has this perhaps... 10 years, 10, 12 or so years of pursuit of David to kill him. And he just misses over and over again. So this cat is, yeah, chasing this little mouse, and that mouse is quick and fast, but he's not toying with him. God is supernaturally in moments protecting David. And David goes into the wilderness of Engedi. And our Israel group got to go to Engedi. It's the Judean desert is the smallest desert in the world. And you're up in the northern parts of, of Israel and it's green and we drove from Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. So we saw it being green and then boom, you hit just over this fairly small mountain range, but that changes the weather patterns. And, and then it's just drier and drier, less plants and less plants until there's like no plants. But the Engedi is unique because there's springs of Engedi. And what happens here is that David knows the desert because he grew up a shepherd. And our tour guide in, in his insights uh, taught us that in the green farmland, shepherds weren't allowed to take these mass. Oh, you imagine how many shepherds there were, right? With, with goats and, and sheep and cattle. They couldn't just roam and eat all the green vegetation for, their, for the gardens and the agriculture. They had to go to the drier areas and five fine patches of grass and of where springs were and things. So they had to travel in the wilderness. They had to take their flocks out away and find these places of green grass and so forth. And sure enough, we were walking, and these cliffs and, and, mountain, and, and, and hillsides have holes in them. 
everywhere. And to think of, it was easy to see, yeah, maybe David was one of those caves hiding. Maybe they were going along that ridge and then they tucked in that hole over there. They were all over the place. And then in the middle of this, there's this little waterfall coming down and a spring and a creek in the middle of this very dry area. It was, it was amazing to see. So it actually turned out to be more of another repeat David and Goliath story where Saul had easy up to 3,000 soldiers against David's four to 600 soldiers. And it was numbers-wise no way that David was going to survive. And the, the thing about this, now, just recently praying with a family member, and, this, and that image, this is a David and Goliath, and I feel like David. I feel like the underdog, the one that's not going to win, that there's no chances you're, you're not going to win. And that's often how we use this phrase, David and Goliath. Do you realize that it was God's will, God's plan the whole time that David was going to defeat Goliath? So a David and Goliath scenario is actually a good one for you. Because David was on God's side. It was always God's, even despite the odds on the outside, a David and Goliath scenario is good for you. Because you have God on your side. So what happened in this story in 1 Samuel, I'm jumping all the way to chapter 24, is that David is in these wilderness rocky areas. And what happens is, is that Saul goes into the cave to use the restroom. But David and his men are already back in this cave hiding out. And they see King Saul walking in and using the restroom. And his fellow soldiers tell David, yes, this is your chance, David, to take his life. God has delivered your enemies into your hand. Go for it. Guess what happens? Let's read it together. First Samuel 24. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. He didn't even know David was in there. And so as Saul gets out of the cave and and, and gets out there a little bit. 
David comes out of the cave and he says, look. Look what I've got in my hand. Why do you pursue me? And he pleads for Saul that I'm the one that has spared your life. And he, King Saul actually says, you're right, you're righteous, and I'm wrong. God bless you, and I'm not going to pursue you anymore. Well, it was just a number of months later. Another cave later. That Saul is pursuing David again. They're asleep in the cave and David's men slip in there. God's put a supernatural sleep on them and he takes this time his sword and his jug. And he gets out in the open and holds it up again and says, Abner, General, you were sleeping right next to Saul. You're not a good guard. What kind of man are you? You couldn't even protect your king. Why do you pursue me? What unrighteous thing have I done? And again, Saul said, I relent. I won't pursue you anymore. And so there's a lesson to learn here from Saul that, yes, don't fall into temptation of a critical spirit. Jealousy turns to envy, then fear, and perhaps even bitterness. But fear causes instability. He was so up and down. He would hear, yes, I'm wrong, you're right. And it would just be months, days, months later, and he was back at it again. If, is there instability in your life? David had an onslaught of fear against him. He was completely outnumbered. God was having to come through for him. And, and, and for one example, they were in this, this great pursuit of David and his men, and they were hiding around the mountain. David knew how to skirt around and hide, and, and he split up, Saul split up the army, and they were starting to surround him, and they were starting ready to to come on both sides where they would be entrapped. And then suddenly a messenger came and said, Saul, the Philistines are attacking the land. And it was just probably a minute later they were discovered exactly where David and his men were. And somehow through all of this, David was able to stay pure before God. I've pondered and meditated on this, this illustration that his heart was smitten. He was convicted that he cut the robe of the anointed one. He did take this sword and his jug uh, in another cave later on. He returned the sword to him. He didn't keep his sword and steal it from him. And so I'm just thinking, uh, I... I I'm not going to stretch up my hand against God's anointed. God wants us to honor our leaders. He wants to honor our elders and those who are older than us. And here I cut his cloak, this cloak that was made for the king that represents his authority, represents his royalty and his anointed position. And I cut a piece of it off. And he was convicted by that. His men were saying, kill him, kill him, this is your chance. And David's convicted about cutting this 
symbolic robe. And so he did it differently the next time. I want to tell you, even in the midst of crisis and facing fears, we, in fact, God wants to continue to purify us and make us more holy, not just to get us to survive. God, help me get through this trial. Help me get uh, uh, make it. I just want to survive. Well, actually, God wants to purify us some more. And there might be little things that people, oh, that's a little thing. Don't worry about it. You're going through a big crisis or a trial. Don't worry. That's a little thing. No, if the Holy Spirit is convicting, it's not a little thing, is it? I want to go ahead and and jump with some lessons here about David. I want us to turn to Psalm 57. Psalm 57, we're going to look at these verses in three uh, categories here. Verses 1 through 3 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Thank you. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now, if you notice in the, in the top of this verse, verse 1, it gives a description of when and why David wrote this psalm. And it tells us it's when he was hiding in the cave from Saul. So somehow getting in a entrapped position where your enemy is going to have you entrapped, he's, he's got a pen and paper out. He's got some scroll. Hey, kid, hey, armor bearer, write this down. And he starts saying prayers, and he starts writing down prayers in the midst of being entrapped by the enemy. That's incredible. He's having a quiet time journaling in a cave. Keep that torch low. We don't want anybody to see it. I mean, the, the circumstances of this is amazing that he's able to quiet himself, get this written down in the midst of this stressful moment. And so what is another lesson from David? He calls out to God for mercy and places his soul under the refuge of God's wings. I love that because it said it places his soul. That's how it's worded. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I make my refuge. He was in physical danger. He was going through possible physical death, and he's, he realizes his soul, his inner man, needs to be under the protection. He's not just thinking about the materialistic. He said, my soul needs to be at peace. I need to be entrusting in God, in this place, in his, the shadow of his wings. Let's read on, verse 4 through 6. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. Selah. He gets honest with God. 
He describes to God, here's the next lesson, he describes to God how bad his circumstances are. You think, well, God knows all things. I don't need to say how I'm feeling right now. He doesn't need to hear about, uh, you know, how bad things are right now. Well, David does this. He writes it down and says, my soul is among lions. They are entrapping me. They're on fire and their teeth are like spears and arrows and their tongue is like a sharp sword. Their, their very words and the curses they speak against me, their goal to kill me, these, these things are sharp. They're coming at me. Oh, God. And so he honestly describes how bad things are. That's important in prayer is to have that sense of full honesty and vulnerability before God. You don't have to pretend that you're okay. You can be honest about where you're at and then ask God to help you move from there. So that's another lesson. God, he describes to God how bad things are. Let's look at the last few verses here. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory, awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Wow, amazing. God sits, gives him a grace to look to heaven and start praising God in the midst of this crisis while he's hiding from the enemy in a dark cave. So that last lesson on this list right now sets his heart on God and he praises him. Listen, please find forms of praise and worship that you can get to quickly. And in this verse, it's the second time, verse 10, for your mercy, that's that word hesed in Hebrew, reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. He's depending on this unconditional love of God in this time of crisis. God is loyal in his love. I want to read you one more verse, this one in the New Testament, and then we'll close. Not exactly. You know, I've got a take-home list in a few more minutes, so please don't you know, hold that against me. Okay. 1 John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It's true that we often approach fear that the opposite of fear is faith. And we have faith, we have courage, and that's going to push out fear. But this is actually how most fear is removed. It's when you and I receive the perfect love of God. And when we receive it, that casts out fear. It's kind of weird. It's like you don't even have to say, like maybe other 
demonic attacks, it's good to say, just like Jesus and the Apostle Paul, others instructed, speak to that evil spirit. Say, leave demon in Jesus' name. And if you know what it is, you tell it to leave. That's, that's a good thing. But we need to realize fear can be removed by just receiving the law of love of the Father. And you don't take authority over it. It's the Father's love pushes out the fear. That's what David could do. In the midst of the cave, hiding from this enemy greater than Goliath, more dangerous than Goliath, in the midst of that, he was able to receive Hesed, the little love of God, and be at peace, be at calm. What does growing fear do to you? How do you respond when fear seems to be surrounding you? on that let's just start singing this song here and let the Holy Spirit right now as we look to him praise him receive his unconditional love
Christ, we say thank you for in live action demonstrating this perfect love of God. And I'm going to invite anyone here in this room, anyone online watching today or later on, that if you've been distant from God because your mind's been somewhere else and you haven't been following God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, never had and you realize I've had a knowledge about him but I haven't known and had a relationship with him then I encourage you to repeat this simple but if it's a heartfelt prayer that you can be restored you can you can begin that relationship if everyone can repeat after me dear Jesus loving me perfectly a little louder if you could thank you for loving me perfectly Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins and washing me clean I believe you rose from the grave and that resurrection power is for me Save me today. Restore me. I'm yours. I'm your child. Come into my heart. Forever and ever. If you pray that prayer, you're a new believer. You're restored. Tell someone today or let us pray for you today to help you in growing that relationship with Jesus Christ. There's many lessons from David. We can go to our spiritual mentors, our covering. We can go to our Christian brothers and sisters. We can call out to God for mercy. We can... uh, tell honestly God how bad things are. We can set our hearts on God and praise Him. But most importantly, receive, believe that His loving, loyal commitment to you is for now. It's for today. It's in this moment. It's in this trial. It's in this place of fear. And God is pushing out that fear right now and giving you His peace. Men, let's learn from the example of David. Let's learn from the bad example of Saul. Men, let's go lead well. Our lives lead well. Those at work we're around, let's lead well. Our wives, our families. God has us as leaders. Bless you today. Enjoy your gatherings today. Have a great week. God's grace is more than enough for all that you're going through. Have a great week. Love y'all. Have a great week.